Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, our gospel for today is Luke's version of that famous conversation that Jesus had with his disciples concerning his identity. Luke tells us this took place after Jesus had prayed for some time in solitude. He then turned to the disciples and said, Who do people say that I am? Now, over the years, I spent a great deal of time focusing on the famous answers the disciples gave to that question, including Peter's, You are the Christ of God. But I want to focus today on the second part of this conversation, the second part of this passage. Once they know who Jesus is, they have to come to grips with the spiritual and behavioral implications of that knowledge. It's very important, isn't it? This passage is structured this way. There's clarity about Jesus' identity. And then immediately, there's clarity about what it means for the way we live. Now, here's what the Lord says. The Son of Man must suffer greatly and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. Then he specifies, logically enough, that those who follow after him will face a similar fate. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Okay, where does all this negativity come from? Why does all this darkness dog Jesus and anyone who would follow him? Why should he, as the Messiah, have to be met with such enormous resistance? Why should his followers expect a similar fate? You know, I know you can say, well, yeah, it's, it's about love. It's about forgiveness and nonviolence. And why would this path inspire such enormous negativity? Here's the short answer at the very heart of what Jesus is telling us here. The path of love will always be a path of suffering. Not usually, not sometimes, always. Mind you, this has nothing to do with a kind of spiritual masochism. Somehow we're embracing suffering because we like to suffer. No, no. There's a kind of physics here again. Love will conduce to suffering. How come? How come? What is the ground for this correlation? Quick answer. We live in a world that is off kilter. And so when we try to live the way God wants us to live, we will be running against the grain. 
The world's off kilter. Listen, both inside and out. I mean, I'm off kilter. You are. And the world around us is. Therefore, as we walk the path of love, we're going to walk against the grain. Let me give you a, a couple of reasons, a couple of examples why the path of discipleship will be the path of suffering. Love, as I've said now a million times to you, is willing the good of the other as other. Again, to escape the black hole of one's own egotism, which tends to draw the world into oneself, to love is to will, to want the good of the other as other. But this will run in our fallen world. This will run against our deeply ingrained tendency towards self-protection. See, again, from our, our animal heritage and because of the effects of original sin, this tendency towards self-protection is written into our DNA. We have an instinct to protect ourselves. Therefore, giving yourself away in love will always hurt. It will meet with an interior resistance. And don't we all sense this? Even though you know, you know, okay, this is the path I should walk. I want to be a person of love, generosity, peace, nonviolence. I want all that. I know objectively it's right. But yet when I try to do it, it's going to run counter to a deep interior tendency towards self-protection. We want to live by nature an easy life, a life of self-indulgence. We are, if I can put this in the language of the deadly sins, beset with spiritual sloth, a kind of laziness or torpor of the spirit. And therefore, it's hard to love. It will cost to love. But there are also exterior reasons why love hurts, why it costs. We live in a world, whether we like it or not, that's beset, conditioned, shaped, and structured by sin. That's to say, by eons and millennia of self-absorbed behavior and attitudes. Sin, in this sense, has worked its way into every nook and cranny of human life. It's inside of you and me, that's true. It's also in all of our structures and families and institutions. Again, this is getting very close to what the church means by original sin, the sin that has been there from the beginning and even now conditions and structures our lives. And all of this means that when you endeavor to live a life of radical love, you will run against the grain of things. Expect the world to resist you when you're walking the path of Christ. Here's a very ordinary example. You're having a conversation with friends. Before you know it, that conversation has turned to gossip, critique, backstabbing, passing on negative information about others. And again, this is because of our sin, both inside and outside. Because of your sin, you'll be sorely tempted to join in. Most of us are. More to it, 
if you resist the momentum of that group, how will you be seen? <laughs> Party pooper, killjoy, troublemaker, holier than thou. That group will try in different ways to ostracize you, to block you as you're trying to block them. There's something of an instinct of self-protection here as well, isn't there? Is this group, this gossiping, backstabbing group, wants to protect itself. If you're walking the path of love and you refuse to cooperate with them, you are now a threat. Something else, if you consistently walk the path of love, people will resent you. Why? Because you're making them look bad by comparison. You know, misery loves company. One reason why is it justifies us in our own bad attitudes. If I'm walking a bad path, spiritually, morally, but I'm surrounded by people who are on an even worse path than I am, I don't feel so bad about myself. If I'm surrounded by people who think the way I'm thinking, act the way I'm acting, then I'm not really called upon to change. But see, when you enter a group like that, and you are very consciously trying to act in a different way, to follow a different path, people will resent you. They'll block you because you're reminding them of how bad they are and that unnerves them. They want to draw you into their game and their style and their attitude. Once again, love is going to cost. It will hurt. Also, many people don't want to be forgiven. I know it sounds strange, but the more you think about it, I think the, the more commonsensical it seems. People want you to meet their violence with counterviolence. People want you to meet their hatred with an answering hatred. Why? Precisely because your negativity will confirm the legitimacy of their negativity. You see what I'm saying? Let's say you're, you're violent to somebody and they're violent back. Well, that allows you to say, see, that's why. That's why I was so aggressive. Suppose you, you express your hatred to someone and they express their hatred right back to you. Well, then you feel justified. But, but, when someone answers your curse with a blessing, <laughs> that totally throws you off your game. That, in fact, convicts you of your own cruelty, of your own darkness. And that's why turning the other cheek is such a dangerous business. See, that's why, it's, that's not a game of passivity at all. That's a very provocative, dangerous move. Someone's cruel to you and you respond in kindness. They don't like that. This leads now to an even wider societal and cultural context. The very best example of the principle I've been exploring, I think, is Martin Luther King's campaign of nonviolent resistance back in the 50s and 60s of the last century. King confronted the enormous structural sin of racism in our country and met it not with violence or with an answering racism. And those are both paths that were followed back in that time, weren't they? Fight fire with fire. They're racist to you, you be racist to them. But King said, no, I will meet this precisely with love, precisely with forgiveness, precisely with nonviolence. What was his hope? His hope was to lure 
racist America back to justice. Not to confirm it in its injustice, but to lure it back into justice. In doing so, as you know, he upset so many of the social conventions of the Deep South. And, to be fair, the social conventions of the North. In fact, King said the greatest racism he faced anywhere in the country was right in my hometown of Chicago. Wherever he appeared with the message and activity of nonviolence, he was met with violence. And finally, of course, he was done to death. Hmm, the path of love is always the path of suffering. Now go back to Jesus' great statement. Anyone who wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Can I say, especially in the context of the first century, that's a very weird thing to say. At the limit, someone might have a cross imposed on him. You know, the Romans would arrest you, they'd convict you, they would impose this terrible suffering on you. For Jesus to say, take up your cross, you see what he's saying? Consciously be aware of the fact that when you walk the path of love, you are walking the path of suffering and you're willing to do it. Take up your cross, consciously, willingly. Not out of masochism. It's not any love for suffering for its own sake. It's a willingness to accept the consequences of love. Are you ready for this? Are you ready to walk this path? Are you ready to take up the cross? Because that's the implication of saying that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.